Hello, welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We're a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who simply love Jesus and want to journey through the ups and downs of our faith together. We're so glad you're here. Good morning. I wanted you to meet my friend Gary there in that video. He is a resident here in Walnut Hills. And as he said, he's been a fixture here for decades. And once you meet him, if you ever see him on the street, you are instantly friends. And I love that this video gave him a chance to share with the Cincinnati Enquirer about why he started gardens here in our community. And in 2017, what he referenced as a food desert, uh, Kroger, that was, it's on the same street, right up the street from us, closed and Our community was in need, extra need, of resources beyond the convenience food that you can grab at the local convenience stores. And in 2020, during the pandemic, the gardens again became a whole new source of access for people who, especially elderly residents, live near the garden he was in right there. There's a whole apartment building full of residents who did not feel safe to travel on the bus and all the way to a grocery store to get fresh food. And so other neighbors gathered from the gardens and took it to those apartment buildings for those residents. And as Gary began the first two gardens, and now it's up to eight in our community, you know, he said he was trying to get people connected to nourishing food, connecting them to needed resources. And he didn't realize the kind of connection to one another that that would also bring because every time people came out to garden together he said this quote this was just something that spontaneously happened because we're out there gardening together not something someone dreamt up as a way to get people from different cultures to come together and yet he said he he met neighbors that he had never talked to before and he was so excited that other people got to realize who lived in their neighborhood And the reason I wanted you to see this is to understand where our community is, like where our church is located in Walnut Hills and the heart behind the love people have for one another here. And I also wanted to bring it up to you because today in Ruth chapter 2, it's all about harvesting and it's about building community through the food out in the fields. Now, can I get Kaylin to bring me my Bible? Because I seem to have come up here without the Word of God. But I'm going to have you turn there. If you grab a Bible in the pew, it's page 188. If you turn to your devices and you want to follow along with us, it's Ruth chapter 2 today. And I'm going to recap where we were last week. Thank you. We are in our series called Bittersweet. And last week, we met Naomi. And she admitted she was bitter. Because she lived in Bethlehem, which means the land of house of bread, and there was a famine there. So she and her husband and two sons left Israel. They moved to Moab, an enemy territory. They weren't getting along. And then there her husband died. Her sons died. She experienced so much grief there. And she returned to Bethlehem last week because she heard that there was food in the land after 10 years she decided to come back and she took her daughter. She asked her daughters-in-law to come along and Ruth came with her. So now Naomi is back in Bethlehem. However, and she is still hungry as old Testament professor Candy Queen Sutherland described. She's hungry in a land of plenty 
She's hungry because custom and tradition have pushed her to the margins through no fault of her own. When Naomi returned to her homeland with her daughter-in-law, her daughter-in-law's from Moab, which is looked down upon, they're both widows, they have no male protector in a very dangerous land, and so they are considered vulnerable, but also more on the margins of society now. And so they have to figure out how they're going to survive. So let's begin in verse 1 and see what they do. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Okay, so we have this setting. They're in an agricultural society, and everyone worked together in order to work through their household, to provide for their household, men, women, young, and old. And archaeologists and anthropologists, they don't see that one particular role was defined as just males or just females here. So when Ruth goes out into the field, she's going to see women and men working together. And then we're introduced to Boaz here, our main final character for this book. And Boaz is related to Naomi. But also if you look at the way he greeted his workers, the Lord be with you. He's got a very generous spirit, a very caring spirit, and he cares about Yahweh, the Lord God. Let's keep reading. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi and said, Please let me glean and harvest among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came to the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now, when Ruth chose this field, we have to see the setting. There's Bethlehem, the city, and then there's the outskirts of town where there's a lot of land. And all the land there is divided up into plots. And different townspeople owned different plots. So she saw some people harvesting and followed along. She didn't really know whose field she was landing until she got there. But she knew she could go there because God has said this to his people, that they were supposed to provide and supposed to provide for people in the, who were disenfranchised in the community, allowing them to glean, which means to gather the leftovers. In Leviticus, God said, when you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. And in Deuteronomy, it's also added that this was for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. All of these categories. And Ruth and Naomi definitely fit into these categories. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm, so I don't know if the word gleaning is used a lot still, but I heard it this summer. So Dorota has a friend who owns Bee Haven, a store in Finley Market, and found out that she also owns blueberry fields. So we got to go out this summer and pick blueberries, and it was the most 
therapeutic <laughs> situation. Like we were out there in the morning, the sun was out, there was a few of us around and it was peaceful. It was calming. I love blueberries. So it worked out really well. But the interesting part to me was we, we go to weigh and pay for our blueberries, talking with the owner. And I hear her say, we've got such an abundant harvest. I'm going to call the people to glean early. And I'm like, glean, hey, thinking of Ruth here. And she said every year that she calls upon organizations here in the city to come out and gather to glean the rest of the blueberries. And they bring it to the soup kitchens and the pantries here in Cincinnati. And I thought it was so amazing that this ancient practice I'd only read about in the Old Testament still happens today. Let's keep reading. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, Ruth bowed her face down to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes? that you notice me, a foreigner. And Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left father and mother and homeland to come live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't have a standing as one of your servants. Now, I love this, that Boaz, he has heard about Ruth, that in the city, when Naomi returned, last week we saw that the women greeted her, they met Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and word has spread. And it's not just about Ruth joining as a Moabite, but something specific we defined last week was chesed, the loving kindness that was so important in the worship of Yahweh, so important to the Jewish people. And they keep saying that this person who is not even from our culture, she's displaying chesed, this love that, that shows the love of God. And she's showing it to Ruth, or Ruth is showing it to Naomi. And so Boaz is showing chesed back to her and said, come glean in my field and I will provide you protection. Let's keep going. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. She sat with the harvesters. He offered her roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz said, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles. So here he is just going above and beyond to make sure Ruth is provided for. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And after all the barley she gathered, it amounted to about an ephah, which is 30 pounds. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. And Ruth brought out the leftover food and gave it to Naomi. So we have mealtime, which was lunchtime. Ruth was invited in. She's in with the workers now, not just seen on the margins, but she's being drawn in. 
And then she's carrying home this load, and she thought, well, I'm just going to try to glean enough for a few meals to get us through. And when I read this, I'm like, what does 30 pounds make? Because you have to take the barley, and you have to process it and make it into food. And they said that would last for several weeks of meals just in this one day's work. But because she didn't have the processing yet, all Naomi had to eat was what Ruth had left over from lunch. So Ruth sacrifices her dinner for Naomi because she assumes she hasn't eaten all day. So here these women are taking care of one another. And it's Ruth's turn to honor her mother-in-law to have gone out in these fields to use her strength to provide and share with her family community. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about Boaz, the, the name of the man I worked with. The Lord bless him, Naomi said. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Ruth said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting. And Naomi said to Ruth, it will be good for you to go and work with the women. So we have this, this peaceful end time. And Naomi hears the name Boaz. And we've already met him. And we know that they're related. But Naomi didn't know. This is a, a revealing in this story that she's like, oh, he's one of our relatives. And not just a relative, but a, a guardian redeemer. We're going to learn a little bit more about what that means in the coming weeks but what we can know, what the Jewish audiences who originally heard this story would have dawned on their minds was that someone, if you were struggling financially and you needed to sell your property in order to gain finances, it was encouraged that a close redeeming member of the family would buy that land back so that the land would stay within the family. So you take care of your relatives even through this land. So we're getting a clue that something might be happening here, that Boaz is an important part of this story, a redeeming part of this story. And finally, it said that Ruth stayed from the barley to the wheat harvests. Well, that would be from spring through early summer. So we've got a couple of months here now that she's been able to provide for her family. The other thing I keep noting is that Boaz and Naomi both were like, hey, stay close to the women. It's kind of dangerous out there. As we need to remember, what we said last week was that they were living in the time of judges and there was some violence in the land and women even going out to work for their daily bread faced danger faced the possibility that if they were not in a protected environment, if they were not under a landlord as a worker or a protected household, that, you know, they could be taken advantage of. So this is another risk that, that Ruth is taking on behalf of her and Naomi. Now, the important thing I want us to look at is just like we talked about the gardens at the beginning of this message, Ruth was able to take what she had and she didn't have much, but even what she had left over at lunchtime, she shared. She was able to share and find ways that she could share with her, her family community, which was Naomi. And also, as she was trying to connect to resources, she was also connecting to other people. She was getting to know the workers, connected to a work community. She was getting to be ingrained in a whole new culture, a whole new country. 
And she was being connected further into her in-law's family because she's getting to know Boaz now as well as Naomi. And all of this, I keep seeing this connectivity. And if you've ever seen our church website or our signs here in the hallway, Echo has core values. And one of those is connectivity. And I find that to be just an interesting word. And so I went and asked the original elders and leaders who began Echo and really prayed through what these values would be. Why connectivity? And they said that when people they saw moved to the city, they moved into a community, right? You move in and there's a name for where you live, right? There's a street name. There's a community name. In Cincinnati, there's all these Every community, when you say the name, you kind of learn its culture. There's all these different great pockets. But people were moving in, and yet they still felt alone. They were near people, but they weren't connected. And so just as we saw that Gary had on his heart to do in the gardens, 16 years ago, a group of us began a church community with the hope of connecting. Connecting people to one another, to a God who loves us, and connecting us to purpose. And that's what I want to end on today. I want us to look at a couple of purposes. The first one I think we need to do is consider our purpose as people is to imitate Boaz and provide connectivity. I want you to look out on the margins, and I want you to see those who need to be drawn in. In doing so, you're bringing visibility. When Ruth bowed in front of Boaz out of gratitude, she said, you've seen me. She was a foreign person who was on the outskirts of society. She felt invisible, and Boaz made her visible. And we can do the same with other people who may be on the outskirts. We can draw people in. Now, our attempts at connecting people, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could start right in this room. Especially if you've been in our faith community for a bit, if you see somebody you don't know, go say hi. Find something about them and connect. And by doing so, you allow them to be seen, you're being seen, and you draw people together from the edge into belonging. And sometimes that can feel intimidating, but usually whoever we're talking to, they might feel intimidated too, so somebody's going to make the first move. It means more than you think. Next, we could connect beyond these walls. The gardens that we were looking at on the video, some of you have gone to help Gary in those gardens. There's all kinds of opportunities in this community where Echo is located, and we're going to keep trying to show you opportunities. We thank you, those of you who showed up to help Douglas this week prepare for school, because the local elementary school, there's so many under-resourced families who go to that school. And so, and we're trying to make the most of every opportunity to support the teachers and the administration there. So thank you for everything you've showed up for, and let's keep going. And finally, I want you to look at your personal communities. Maybe things you wouldn't think about. I mean, you might think about your next-door neighbors, your workplace, your family. But what about your dance class, your poker buddies? What about... Your book club, your art collective, the trivia night you go to. Look around in the communities you're already a part of. See who's on the margins. Notice them. Give them visibility. Now, what if you are on the margins? 
Because that's true. There's times when we are the ones that are new to a community. Or we might be ones who have pulled back a little from a community we've been a part of because we needed, just needed a breather or we're going through a crisis. So my encouragement to you is if someone reaches out, allow yourself to be invited in. Yes, that takes vulnerability to say yes, to get to know new people. But accept that invitation and just get to know someone a little bit more. Remember, you are needed in a new community just as much as you need it. They need you. And I will say it's true. Here, anyone who comes in, you're needed. And then when you go, take someone with you. It's always good to connect others. And that's how we grow. Sometimes we feel alone, meet someone, we invite them to the next place with us. And our second purpose, we've been like Boaz and provide connectivity. Purpose number two is to imitate Ruth and share what we have with our communities. Whether you're part of the original group or you're on the outskirts, that's okay. Ruth was an outsider, but she still found a way to contribute to the community. There's going to be seasons when we feel like Ruth and we wonder where our next meal is going to come from. But yet, we can still give back our our care and our heart and our time. There's always resources that we've been given. And we might not think about it as such. We might not think, well, I don't have ideas or creativity. But you do. You have perspective. You have time. You can check in on other people. God created each of us with a purpose. On purpose. You know, he's given each of us talents and skills. And when we give into the community with those We're going to find a way. We're going to find opportunities. So even if people expect you to or not, expect it from yourself. Take what you've been given and the time that you have and give back into the community. Share. So we've been like Boaz and we provide connectivity. We're being like Ruth and we're sharing with the community. And you know, all of this, all of this, it reminds me that Jesus gave us the same example. He connected others. You know, he definitely shared all the resources he had at hand. And so every week we do a time of communion. And we do so because we want to remember that everything in the Old Testament, Jesus lived out and he lived for us. He connects us to a God who cares. He connects us to forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross. And he provides this love and joy and care that he shares with us. And so we want to have a time now of communion because we want to respond. We want to take in what we've learned from Ruth and we want to take in what we've learned and see how Jesus lived it out himself and how he keeps us moving forward. Excuse me. Um, We're going to have a time where we have people serving communion down each aisle. Um, When you feel ready, you can come down and take it back to your seat. And um, you can just leave the cups in your seat when you're done, and we'll collect them later. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you made us to connect to other people, that, that we weren't meant to be alone. And we feel that tug, and sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Or sometimes we we feel helpless and we don't know how to share into a new community. And God, I just pray that you would help us see where you've already been at work. 
that you have laid a plan and a path for us to take to find new people to share life with. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus demonstrated the ultimate love and connectivity to us, for us, by living as a human being and by wanting to share with us his perfection and his grace. We thank you so much that you provided a way for us to have hope for eternity through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we remember him now. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Echo Church. If you ever want to join us in person, we're located in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. That's E-C-H-O church dot O-R-G. Have a great week.